Genesis chapter 50, let's stand together and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. The Bible says, And Joseph fell upon his father's face. This is because Jacob has died. And he wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. The physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. So I'm assuming that this was 70 days total. 40 of them were the preparation of the body, and then 30 days were for mourning. And so this whole process took place. Verse 4, When the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying. So he sent uh, messengers to Pharaoh. Maybe it was because he was in such a state that he could not be presentable to the king because of his ritual mourning or whatnot, but he sent word to Pharaoh, and he said, My father, verse 5, made me to swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And I'll come back to Egypt, but let me do this. And Pharaoh said, Go up, and bury thy father according as he hath made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. There went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous, a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Mechpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of the burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. I want to preach to you tonight about dealing with death. I almost thought, well, this is just some kind of biographical information of Jacob. We can just move past this and get on to some other stuff in Joseph's life. Uh, For we know on the horizon is the great text where Joseph forgives his brothers. But God recorded this for a reason. And I think he teaches us a lesson in it on how to deal with death, which is something all of us are going to have to deal with at some point. And so let's look at these practical lessons tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us and equip us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing so long. You may be seated. Of course, America does not have a monarchy, and uh, truth be told, I don't think we want one. We had one once and didn't like it too much and threw it off. And, uh, but I'd say this about America, we still seem to be very fascinated with, with monarchies. Uh, in fact, really the whole world is to some extent. In 2022, just last year, Queen Elizabeth II died. And the United Kingdom had their first state funeral since Winston Churchill died in 1965. And it was a spectacle that the world... Had, had watched. I remember the day that she was uh, buried, I was traveling. Mindy and I were both traveling. We were on airplane, and uh, 
You know, I was kind of watching that. I thought it was pretty intriguing and interesting. And she got off. She said, I don't know why everybody cares about that too much. I thought, well, it was kind of cool. Did you watch that? I mean, it, apparently she didn't. Uh, one million people were at, estimated to have attended the processional in London. One million people lined the streets as her body uh, was uh, uh, dro driven through the streets. Or, uh, Ten miles was the longest length of line to see the queen lying in, in wait. Ten miles. I mean, I was talking about waiting just to walk past her casket. There was a waiting time of up to 24 hours standing in line. Yeah, I'll watch it on uh, TV, actually, but uh, nevertheless. It said there that 2,000 guests traveled to Westminster Abbey, including 100 presidents and heads of government. It was a new world record of 4 billion, that's with a B, TV viewers watched from around the world, but one of them was not Mindy. <laughs> 4 billion TV viewers watched from around the world. It was a record. 98 Navy sailors pulled the gun carriage, and there were another 40 behind it that served as the brakes as they carried her body into Westminster Abbey. Pretty impressive. I, I, I was intrigued by it just because of all the pomp and circumstance, the formality of it. It was, it was very impressive. I'm not exactly sure how Jacob's processional compared to Queen Elizabeth II, but, but nevertheless we see in text that it was impressive in its own right. So what do you mean? In verses 7, 8, and 9, you'll see that basically as they uh, led his body from Egypt to the land of Goshen and brought it to Canaan, the promised land, you'll see that out in front there were the, all of the elites of Egypt. I mean, the heads of state, the important people uh, were leading the way, and right behind them would have been Jacob's family, the Bible tells us. And so you have uh, Jacob's family, except for all the little ones, were marching. And then behind them, you see that there was a military processional, all for Jacob, Joseph's father. Now I thought about that for, for a little while. I was kind of thinking in my mind of how that looked and how amazing that would have been. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that most of us are going to leave this world with very little notice. I mean, most of us, I mean, we're going to come and go, and I, I don't mean this in a glib way, but I mean most of us just in reality, we're going to come and go, and, and most people aren't even going to really notice, and certainly there's not going to be any kind of fanfare like this attached to it. While most of us might leave without great notice and great fanfare, I will say this, all of us will have to deal with death. Now, I know there's some junior theologians sitting out there going, well, actually, if Jesus comes, but the truth is, is you may not have to face your own death, but you will face someone else's death. We all have to deal with the subject of death. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, oh, his Movement was taking hold and gaining ground, and a lot of people were being converted and saved in Methodism, and, and somebody commented to him about the, the death of his members and how they were dying with great peace and great grace, and John Wesley is known for saying this, our people die well. Our people die well. I thought about that statement in the context of Jacob. Jacob did not necessarily live well, did he? I know there are some wonderful things about Jacob. Let's give him his credit where it's due. His, his vision of Jacob's ladder, his wrestling with God and ha grabbing onto God and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then living the rest of his life with a great limp as a testimony of God's grace in the midst of his weakness. And, and so there are some good things that we can say about Jacob. For, but for a great portion of his life, Jacob lived like a scoundrel. 
He was a con man. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He, he lived for his own self-gratification and gain. And Jacob was, uh, in many ways, we could say this, he did not live very well, but we can say this, he died well. He did die well. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's a great gem in the Scriptures. That God has given us 66 books lumped into one book, preserved for us that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we can meditate over, we can memorize, we can study, we can cling to. And what they have been given is they teach us how to live life because I think that if you learn to live well, you can eat, die a lot better than you would otherwise. And so I'm thankful that the Bible has given us this instruction of not only how to live well, but also how to die well. And I want you to see from our text tonight three ways to deal with the death of a loved one. Three ways to deal with the death of a loved one. That's what we see when we come to this text. Number one, I want to say this, we should have a proper preparation for death. We should have a proper preparation for death. Did you notice that Jacob had prepared both himself and his family for his own death? He had talked to him about it. He said, you know what, I'm going to leave soon. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to die soon. My, my life has been a few years and full of troubles, basically what he said. My, my life has been hard. It's been long. And for 147 years, I believe, he lived. And he said, but I'm going I'm to leave here. And when I leave, I want you to bury me in Canaan. Don't let me my bones stay here in Egypt. He basically was saying, "Is I know I'm living in a pagan land, but I'm not a pagan. Don't leave me here. And he wanted his life in his death to be a testimony of his God. You see, he was prepared to die, and he had ultimately prepared his own funeral. Woody Allen, the uh, famous comedian, said this, It is not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. But I will say this to Woody Allen and anybody that shares his sentiments, Woody Allen will be there, and so will we when it happens. So we need to be prepared for it. Somebody said this, death isn't an accident, it's an appointment. And that's a scriptural thought, by the way. Some of you know by memory Hebrews 9.27. And it is appointed unto man once to die. Did you hear that? It's appointed unto man once to die. We all have an appointment. It's not an accident when we die, it's an appointment when we die. In fact, I was talking to a preacher friend of mine this week in an unrelated conversation to this text and this sermon and for some reason, in the course of our conversation, we were talking about some things, and he said, you know, I, I read this book, and, and, I, and I, I saw this quote, and it's true, and he said this, all of us are born with an expiration date. And it's true. So the question then becomes, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Now, of course, I could talk to you tonight about how we should make a will. Let, let me encourage you, let me be very practical about that. Did you know that most people under the age of 50 don't have one? But I want to recommend to you that you, you should, especially if you have children. Um, you know, Mindy and I, of course, we, ha we have our children, and we wanted to have a will if something were to happen to us, and we ha have made those kind of preparations. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this out to you. We put in our will, if our kids aren't living for the Lord, they don't get any of our stuff. I'm not going to give all my hard-earned stuff. I don't have a lot, but I worked hard for it. I'm not going to give it to some pot-smoking, drug-addicted kid. That's just me. That's just my, I mean, that, that was free. That didn't cost you anything. I was just throwing that out there. All right. 
So, so again, I'm just trying to say to you, consider making a will and making that kind of preparation, estate preparation, family preparation. Uh, consider maybe, uh, depending on your age and station in life, consider funeral planning. I, I read of one person that said this. I mean, they, they really thought through what they wanted at their funeral, and this is what they said. I want a closed casket funeral. And at the end of the service... The organist should energetically play Pop Goes the Weasel until everyone is staring at my coffin with horrified anticipation. (laughs) So, again, really think this through, right? But obviously more than making a will and deciding what songs you want sung and what people you want to speak, I'm speaking more than the practical. I'm, I'm, I'm really suggesting that all of us need to be prepared for eternity. You know, it's, it's very strange how many people make detailed preparations for vacations. Come on now, how many of you are planners? Yeah, there's several of you here. Uh, you know, sometimes on vacation, I, I feel like I plan and administrate all the time. So when it comes to vacation, I don't really want to do that. I'm just kind of like, eh, we'll get up when we get up. We'll eat when we eat. Where are we going to eat? I don't know. We'll figure it out. What are we going to do? I don't know. We'll figure it out. That's more how I like to roll on vacation. Uh, but some of you, I know, you're like, oh, I couldn't handle that. Like some of you, I know, boy, you, you, you got, man, on Monday we're going to do this. But see, you're the kind of people that get off of vacation and need a vacation from your vacation. I understand. It's amazing how many people will make detailed preparations for vacation, but they ignore making preparation for the most important journey of all. And of course, I'm talking about our journey from leaving this world and going to the next. You know, many of you have said this to me. uh, Well, preacher, I I want you to preach my funeral. And the truth is, is I cringe every time everybody says that to me because I'm thinking, man, I don't think about that. I don't want to think about that. Let's let that happen when that happens and let's not talk that way. But, But again, I'm glad we have made preparations for the next life in this one because we have to make preparations in this life for the next one. If we don't think about the next life, we don't think about what's beyond this, then we will not live as well as we ought. Obviously, I'm I'm saying to you tonight, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? So, well, preach, come on, man. This isn't Sunday morning. I know you have to talk that way on Sunday morning. We have more visitors on Sunday morning, and you need to be more evangelistic on Sunday morning. But no, I think it's good for all of us from time to time to just stop and say, hey, am I prepared to meet my Maker? Am I saved? Do I know uh, the Lord as my Savior? Am am I ready? If I do know Him, am I living in such a way that if if something were to happen to me today, I'm prepared to meet my Lord? When we get to this stage of Jacob's life, he was ready. He said, I've lived a full life. I've lived a troubled life. I've seen a lot of good days, and I've seen many bad days, and I'm ready to leave this world. Are you ready? Listen, again, I think life is wonderful, and I'm not ready to check out tonight. But I think this, if, the, if my appointment day was today, I believe I'm ready to meet my maker, are you? You see, we have to have a proper preparation for death. Number two, we should have a proper expression of grief. We should have a proper expression of grief. I know the question has been asked over and over again, do real men cry? Well, we see with Joseph, he fell on his father's face and he wept on him. In fact, you're going to find there are a couple occasions in Joseph's life that he cried. 
And in every case, he was not crying for himself. I can't ever find any record of Joseph crying when he was thrown in the pit or crying when he was in prison or crying when things weren't going his way. But when he met his brothers, he fell on them and wept on them. When, he, when his father died, he fell and wept on him. He, he wept for other people. And so I think you could say that Jacob was a real man and Jacob cried. Even if you can't make that assessment about Jacob's life, you can make that assessment about Jesus' life. There never was a more masculine, manly man than Jesus was. And we find that Jesus wept. And where did he weep? He wept outside the tomb of a loved one. I want you to understand tonight, when someone we love, who has been in our life for a long time, dies, let me say this, God expects us to weep. And here Joseph falls on his father, he weeps, and I I see him, him kiss his lifeless body because he loved his father. And remember, Jacob and Joseph only had 34 years of time together. There was a large gap where they were apart. 17 years on the front end, 17 years on the back end. And and there was great love in their life for one another. Can I tell you tonight, normal tears are part of a healing process. See, the Bible never wants us to avoid grief. But the Bible always teaches us how to deal with grief. Let me give you tonight two purposes for grief. One, it's to express emotion. You know, God has given us emotion, and it's okay. You know, some of us are more emotional than others. I recognize that. God's made us all different and unique in His own way. Uh, And and some of us are more emotional, and and I get it. But but I say to you often, this is a good time for me to be reminded to you, that we don't want to be devoid of emotion, but we always want to be discerning in our emotion. I remind you that God in in anatomy created our head to be over our heart. And so we must not think with our our heart, we must think with our head. See, God gave us a brain to think and a heart to feel, and when we confuse those two, we get ourselves in trouble. But see, what happens is if we're not careful, we cannot properly express grief, and God wants us to express our emotion. And that is precisely why He has given us, as human beings, the ability to cry. You know, biologically, there are three types of tears. There are tears that just lubricate and clean our eyes. Many animals have that ability to just lubricate their eyes. But the Bible, or excuse me, biology also gives us tears that are reflexive. That might be cutting an onion. Uh, I don't know if that happens to you if you cut onions. I've never done that, but I'm sure that happens. I have been hit in the nose. You'll cry, you get hit in the nose. I mean, not, wow, I want my mommy, but your eyes will water up. I've broken my nose twice. Let me tell you, that's no fun. And, and your eyes will water. So you have tears that are reflexive. You have tears that lubricate and clean your eyes. But hold on a second. As human beings, we have something. See, someone wants to tell you you're just a higher evolved animal. No, you're not. God created you differently, and he has given you tears of emotion. Listen, dogs can be sad. Have I told you I have a dog? (laughs) Let me me talk about my dog for a second. He can show emotion. Listen, have you ever seen a dog show a human being disgust? They can do it. My kids love to torture that poor dog. They just love to aggravate him. And he will, I mean, while they're aggravating him, he'll just look at him like, And every once in a while, he can be sad or upset. He doesn't like to be in trouble. He doesn't like to displease. And 
And a dog can whimper and whine, but they do not cry. Listen, we as human beings, think about us, we cry at sad movies. It's not real. It's fictitious. You never met those people in your life. And you, you cry about it. Now listen, I'm not going to get any men in here to raise your hand because I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I guarantee you there's some... It, sorry excuse for a man sitting here that's cried at some Hallmark movie somewhere. Maybe you say, well, I don't watch Hallmark movies. Okay, well, you, you cried at Disney's Up or something like that. We well up at weddings. We blink away tears when we're in the midst of an argument. There are emotional tears that we cry. And God wants us to express our emotions, listen to me, in a proper way. When I'm preaching and teaching on anger, I, I constantly remind people what we need to do when it comes to anger. Don't, don't suppress and bottle up your anger. Always express it the right way for the right reason. That's the key to anger. It's not that all anger is sinful and that you should never be angry. It's that you should always express it the right way and direct it at the right things. Most of what we get angry about is not something that we should be angry about. And much of way, the way we express it is improper. Well, sometimes that happens in our grief. We need to express it properly. Why? It gives me the second thought. It's not only just to express our emotions, but it's also to eliminate pressure. I mean, think about a tire for just a moment. If you underinflate a tire, that's a problem, right? I mean, if your air pressure's low on your car, you, you understand how that would be a problem. If you overinflate that tire, that's also a problem. And I think sometimes people in their emotions, they're just completely robotic. They have, well, you know, people live and people die, and so that's just all there is to it. Well, that's not good. That's underinflation. And then there are some people that just fall to pieces. They're so emotionally wrecked that uh, they're, they're, they're out of control. That, that's improper. And so sometimes what we need to do is to express our grief. We do need to cry. We need to eliminate some of this pressure. And, and, and what Jesus has taught us in Scripture by his own example and by his teaching is that he wants us to turn our grief into belief. In fact, I want to point something out to you in our text about Joseph. Look at verse 14. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. You know what the idea there is? Is that they spent this time, this period of, of mourning, this period of preparing the body and, and mourning and then traveling to the land of Canaan and then burying him. But notice in verse 14, he returns to Egypt and he, and he moves on with his life. You see, abnormal grief keeps the wounds open and totally prolongs the pain. I have known people, and I, I think this is irrational, who will not come to church because when they go to church, they, they say it reminds them of their loved one, but they live in the same house. They go to the same store. They refuse to move on with their life, and I, I, I think that that's, that's a problem. The same way I think suppressing tears can lead to emotional and physical problems. John Keeble called tears this, the best gift of God to suffering man. I've often told people, hey, it's, people sometimes say, oh, I'm sorry for crying. Listen, you don't ever have to apologize for that. You see, 
A good cry is, is helpful. Because I like to tell people, sometimes it keeps your head from swelling. We've got to eliminate this pressure in our life. See, we should have a proper expression of grief. Number three, I want you to see this tonight. We should also have a proper appreciation for life. Egyptian religion, of course, was cultish, and what they would do is they would preserve the body so that the dead could enjoy the afterlife. We, we know a little bit about when they found King Tut's tomb, right? And the riches and the, the, the preservation and all of that that went in. I, I'm kind of curious, is it, have any of you in here seen the riches of King Tut's tomb in a museum? Any of you seen that before? A few of you have. Not very many of you, but a few of you have. I, I would love to see that. I bet that's very impressive to see. And of course, their, their mentality would be to preserve this body so that the dead could enjoy the afterlife. But understand, not everybody was embalmed and buried like King Tut. A lot of the Egyptian pra practice was this. Some of people who were poor, they were just washed. Their bo dead body was washed and it was dried in the sun. Uh, for others, they, they were washed and dried and packed in salt to be preserved. But the very important people, like a King Tut, they were embalmed and mummified. And so that's what you read about here is that Jacob, Joseph's father, not because of anything Jacob had done, but because of what Joseph had done, they said, we're rolling out the red carpet for this guy. But the Bible is very clear that, that Jacob was not going through this process because of religious purposes. It was really for practical purposes in their family's life. And I do think that this is an interesting kind of takeaway and application as you study the Bible. The Egyptians honored Jacob because of Joseph. They, for no other reason. Jacob hadn't done anything for Egypt. J Jacob had only been in Egypt for about 17 years, and, and he wasn't a significant person. But the Egyptians honored Jacob because of Joseph. You see, his life, Joseph's life, don't miss this, caused other people to want to honor his father. Can, can you see an application that we could, we could put in our Hey, does my life cause other people to want to honor my heavenly father? See, that's exactly what it is. Again, my heavenly father is worthy of honor, no question of that. Jacob was not necessarily, but they said, because we respect Joseph's life so much, we want to honor his father. Now, again, that's a great question. Does our life bring blessing or does it bring blasphemy to our heavenly father? You see, you can make the argument about his ten brothers. They were some scoundrels. They were some rascals. Uh, th think about what they brought to Jacob's life. They brought anxiety. They brought grief. They brought discouragement. They brought frustration. They did not bring honor. But I do want you to notice something that I noticed as I was studying this text. In the end, all of these brothers came together and honored the life of Jacob. In verse 13, we see that they were all pallbearers. And they personally, everybody else stayed back, and they personally carried his body to his final resting place. Can I say this to you tonight, as we're kind of coming to a close? Sorrow ought to bring people together, not apart. Unfortunately, as a pastor, I've been in many funeral situations. I've probably done hundreds of funerals over the years. And I've seen sorrow bring a lot of families together. And that's a wonderful thing. That's the way it should be. But I've watched sorrow rip people's families apart. I've watched families fight over people's stuff. I've watched people fight over money. 
I've watched people angry at the deceased and and use that as a time to express their anger and resentment towards people. Sorrow ought to bring people together, not apart. I want you to think up to this point in the history of Genesis, if you're a Bible student, do you remember that Isaac and Ishmael, you kind of understand those two guys had a little bit of a rivalry, didn't they? But when Abraham died, they came together and buried their father. Jacob and Esau had a serious rivalry. In fact, at one point Esau said, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. But when their father Isaac died, they came together. And they buried their father together. Here we have the same thing that happens. These brothers who were at each other's throats, that were rivals with one another, who had problems with one another, they came together to pay respect to their, to their father after he had died. And I just want to point this out and, and kind of wrap things up with this. We have to admit to ourselves that our society at large has become increasingly irreverent. And I see that sometimes even at funerals. Recently, I was at a funeral here in, in Anderson, and I, I was uh, up at, I'll just go ahead and say it, I was up at McDougald Funeral Home. I'll just give them a little bit of a shout-out. I thought it was, it was a good thing. I was talking to one of the McDougald brothers, and they were just kind of talking about their policy. And they said, you know, uh, we've just done it this way forever. We've just, as long as my grandfather and my father had it, this is the way we've done it. We wear dark suits. That's what they said. I think we just kind of have a stereotypical idea that a, a funeral director or a funeral attendant wears a black or a gray suit. And he said, that's just what we do. He said, we always wear white shirts. And we don't allow any of our attendants to have facial hair. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> he said, that's just what we want to do. You might say, well, why? Well, his answer would have been this. We want to show respect and professionalism to families that we, we serve and we minister to. Our culture has become increasingly casual. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not saying you have to wear a necktie everywhere you go. I know there, I'm reading a book about Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, that guy went on vacation to the beach with his family in a suit. As he said, even though I'm on vacation with a family, I'm still a preacher of the gospel. Okay, buddy, I'm putting my sweats on when I get out of this place. So again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like that, but I'm just saying, it, to me, and I know I'm a middle-aged man, it grieves me to come to a place where somebody has died and see people in shorts and a t-shirt, a ball cap. Now, that, that's just me. I'm not going to fuss and be mean, but, I, but I, I, I still think there's something about paying our respects to somebody's life. And even somebody like Jacob, who you couldn't endorse everything that he did, and you could point out a lot of things that he really got wrong in his life, at the end of the day, you still pay respect to that person's life. Because all life should be appreciated. You see, the Bible demonstrates the practice of paying our respects to somebody who has died. The Bible teaches us to give honor to whom honor is due. And we do that in life, and we do it in death. Hey, maybe it should serve as a reminder to us tonight that, hey, don't wait until somebody's dead and in a fancy box with flowers on top to tell them how much you love them. Maybe we should be respectful and appreciative of somebody's life while they're living. But the Bible does teach us that when somebody leaves this world to pay respect, 
Why? Because all life is beautiful. And especially when somebody has lived a life well. Boy, that's something to appreciate. And when somebody has done well, they've fought the good fight, they've finished their course with joy, boy, that's something to say, I want to respect that, I'd like to have that, I admire that, that's wonderful. And I see these boys as they bring their father into that tomb, and they lay his bones next to Abraham, and Isaac, and now Jacob, and their wives, and it symbolizes the goodness, and the glory, and the blessing, the promises of God they say, you know what, we sure appreciate the life that God has given. Let me ask you some questions. I, I understand it was a different message tonight, but it was the text that God gave us. And this is what I say. We've got young people in here. Listen, death is a part of life. And we need to teach our children this. We need to teach them how to face it and how to handle it. And so I ask you the question tonight. Are you prepared to die? I didn't ask you if you want to die. I don't, I don't want to check out of here tonight. Life is good. Now if Jesus came tonight, you'd hear no argument out of me. But are you prepared to die? Are you prepared to meet your Maker? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Are you living the way you ought? And, and if you say, well, I'm not. Well, hey, then let's get some things right. Let's be prepared. Number two, have you learned how to grieve properly? Can you cry? Can you cry appropriately? Does your grief lead to belief? Or does your grief lead to utter despair? See, the Lord wants to teach us how to grieve to where it leads us to greater faith, not greater despair. And then lastly, do you appreciate life? Guys, life is good. It's wonderful. Let's make the most of every day that God gives us. Do you, I asked you, do you appreciate life? I hope you appreciate your own. And by the way, if you're struggling with depression or being downcast, hey, listen, find strength in the scriptures. Get counsel if you need it. Man, turn to the Lord. Listen to good music. Let God lift your spirit, be the lifter of your countenance. But can I also ask you this? If you appreciate your own life, what about somebody else's life? Do you appreciate theirs? Do you express it to them? Hey, don't wait until your parents are gone before you fall on their face and hug their neck and kiss them and weep over them. Tell them you love them today. Is there somebody else in your life, a brother, a sister, a good Christian friend, a spiritual mentor, somebody that's meant something to your life? Hey, let them know that you appreciate the life that God has given them. And let's let also... Let Oakwood be a place where when somebody leaves, let your family be a place when somebody departs this world, hey, we know how to show respect to somebody. Man, we, we show respect to a life well lived. Boy, we, we stand up and salute that. But even if you can't say everything about that person's life was ideal and biblical, we still know how to show respect to somebody who was created in the likeness and image of God. And God gave them a life on this planet. We can still show respect to our fellow human beings because every human being is at least worth the dignity of being one of God's special creation. Again, unusual message. Not apologizing for it. I'm just saying it's a little different. But aren't you thankful that God teaches us things from His book on how to all things that pertain to life and godliness, and in this case, even when our life ends.